Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. But I think the biggest thing is not necessarily me being an entrepreneur, but me being a leader. And yes, having interest in business and all of these other things, but more so being able to go out and find people who are really, really good, better than me at necessary skills within business and helping them as a leader. The business didn't have to stop because of me. Somebody else could be working and making money and generating revenue. So let me find someone else that can help. Let me find other people that can help. Whether it be just as a friend or a mentor or whatever, I I truly want to be able to take the things that I've learned and provide that knowledge to other people, other people, other people. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Bryce Wilson. So who is Bryce Wilson? Bryce is this 24-year-old kid who started a company called Ticket Rescue, which is essentially buying tickets from people who can't go to an event, reselling them, and making a profit. Just an idea that he came up with, and he started growing and growing and growing, started from nothing, and then hits a million bucks in sales. And so he's like, whoa, this is this is great. We're gonna keep this thing going. And then boom, COVID hits. No events are allowed anywhere. So in this episode, we talk about how he handled that, how he pivoted, and how he's completely reinvented his business. You're gonna learn a lot from this 24-year-old. So give it a listen, let me know what you think about it, and shoot me a message in the comments and let me know how you're pivoting in business right now during this period. So please enjoy this conversation with Bryce Wilson. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped to have you on the show because you and I were both in Chris Harder's Mastermind together. And every time we went back to the Mastermind, there was massive growth from the previous time. You're not a old guy. You're a pretty young guy. So watching that growth was super impressive. And I want to sort of like go into 
a little bit about that hypergrowth, but I also want to talk a bit about why you started the company, how you're dealing with COVID, which I know is probably insane given the kind of company that we're going to talk about in a minute, and how you're pivoting uh, personally and professionally. You cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So... In 2017, you started a company called Ticket Rescue. What is Ticket Rescue and why did you start it? So the concept behind Ticket Rescue, which in the old days, it was Ticket Pickers, now Ticket Rescue. But the the idea behind it was people have event tickets, whether it be concert, sports, theater, and life gets in the way. Something happens, whether you get a flat tire or you get sick, there are things that will come up and disable your opportunity to go to events. And the process of selling tickets, which are obviously still worth money, and there are still people who want to go attend that event, is not a very simple process. So what we do is if somebody can no longer use their tickets, we come in and we say, hey, we'll buy your tickets for a, a set rate, guaranteed, you give them to us and we we go and find a buyer. So it's similar to that of a CarMax or a car dealership where it's, we'll buy this from you directly easy. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to deal with it. And then we go and find someone to fill that seat. And that, I mean, the I didn't really start it for a reason. I kind of started it on accident. It was something that I stumbled into and was just messing around with one summer there between my junior and senior year of college. And it took off. I enjoyed it. I loved it and continued on after college. So why, why get in that space? There's so many other spaces that you could have chose, chosen. Was it that you just made that attempt to get into it? It worked, and you figured, ah, you know what the heck? It looks like it looks like there's an opportunity here. I'm going to go all in on it. Yeah, I mean, I I was always kind of, still am, kind of a wheeler and dealer, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. Grew up buying and selling shoes, and just always flipping things. Did it a little bit with tickets and. Honestly, there was. I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big fan of music, but I've never been a massive live events fan. But mm-hmm. what draw, what drew me in was the business aspect of it. I I always tell people I don't really, you know, I like events, but I don't care. I shouldn't say I don't care, but I don't have any huge passion for tickets. I do have a huge passion for business and leading people and developing and and growth and all of those things. So I think that's what has kept me around. The The tickets are just kind of the, the vehicle of that. Okay. A couple of things I want to go into with you. One is when you mentioned about the business with Ticket Rescue, you're, when you're buying tickets from somebody, how do you, do you, if you guarantee that you're going to buy every ticket, if you do, how do you know you're going to sell it? Well, we don't. You know, we have a, a pretty high success rate, but essentially we are looking into everything about that event, the artist, the location, the past sales data, every gathering all the information we can in order to determine a price. So we obviously buy it at a discount of what we think it's worth so that we can make a margin, but we're buying it at a discount, which enables us to then be the most competitive price out there. And we are taking on that risk. That's a big selling point for us is you know, this, maybe you can sell this ticket for more, or maybe you don't sell it at all. And it's after the event happens, it's obsolete. So we take on that risk from people and we have a, we have stuff that we eat, we have stuff that we end up giving away. Um, but it's about 1% of tickets that don't end up selling. So we, we do our research and we've done it enough to where 
we know what's going to sell and what's not. And there are times, you know, people will reach out and they've got tickets to their 10-year-old softball game and we can't buy those tickets. Those, mm-hmm. those aren't selling anywhere, but we're usually buying higher profile type stuff and we know what has sold in the past. So it's easy to make an educated guess decision. What is the most expensive ticket you've ever sold? Oh man, I, I, we had game seven courtside, not courtside, but like center court for uh, Warriors Cavs. And I think that was 2018. Also had glass seats to the Stanley Cup. So those, those were two of the, the memorable ones. And what did they sell for? Oh, I think the basketball ones were upwards of five grand a piece. I mean, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> and how much negotiating do you like? So let's just use the $5,000 basketball one. So the guy calls up and he says, Hey man, I can't use this ticket. Uh, here, here's my ticket. And you say, okay, I'll give you 500 bucks. And he's like, no way you can get thousands for these. How much of those conversations happen? People, people always push back, but we, we offer the best we possibly can. We have an idea of what we want our margins to be. And we offer the highest possible price. It's also an efficiency thing. So we're trying to get as many people in and taken care of as as quickly as we can. So back and forth is is an inefficient process. We offer the best possible price we can. And people will say, well, you know, if we offer 100, they'll say, well, what about 120? And we just have a, a scripted response that says we offer the best we can. There's no negotiation here. You know, and and that's that. We say it as nice as we possibly can, but we we truly are doing the best we possibly can and avoiding all negotiations because it's a time saver for us and for our customers. So the no negotiation thing I'm really fascinated with because it is such a pain in the ass to go buy a car and to spend the day with the back and forth. You don't know where the bottom line is. You don't know where the bullshit is. And I'm bringing the manager in. I'm gonna, you know, you know, we've all been there. Yep. So you know. But then CarMax, the example you used earlier, comes along and they're like, yeah, no negotiation. This is the price. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that that you're doing that. And I love the fact of what you just said, that it becomes, I see, I had never thought of that before. It becomes efficient because it's speed. Yep. I mean, when I think about wasting eight hours in a car dealership going back and forth with, oh, I saw this price on Consumer Reports or my buddy got this, you know, at this dealership and I saw this online. All of that goes out the window. And if there was one price, then there's just one price and that's all you have to pay. So I love the fact that you put that in there. I want to talk a little bit about um, how you built the company. So you initially started um, this just on Twitter and Facebook. How do you use those platforms to grow your business or how did you use, or if you still do without paying ads in the beginning, you didn't buy ads, right? It was all organic. Yeah. So we've, I mean, you, you could call it organic or you could, it, it was paid for in, in some regard, regard, but essentially we, we just went out and found people and it got to the point in the, in the early stages, we were going out and finding people looking to sell their tickets and directing them or saying, Hey, we will, we will help you here. Um, and it got to the point where it became such, it became so many people and everybody was having a good experience that it spread. Word of mouth is, is the best marketing tool you can possibly have. So it spread, it spread organically. And honestly, it was a, an amazing thing for us because it allowed for steady growth, but it also allowed for us to be able to, to handle it. I think I, there was always that little bit of fear in the back of my mind of what happens if 
tomorrow morning, there's, you know, a, a huge news release about us and everybody knows we're not going to be able to handle it. You know, we're, we're running around with our hair on fire trying mm-hmm. to deal with three, 400 people a day. What happens if it's 10x? So, so that organic method, organic growth enabled us to be able to handle it and scale slowly and do a really good job. Yeah, you scaled within within your ability to be able to scale, um, and you didn't get any more handed to you than you were able to process. Where did where did your business education comes come from? Because at twenty four years old, which is what you are now, which is crazy, because you started this company how long ago? Three years? Uh, a little over three years. Yeah. Okay. So where did this come from? Is it? Your parents? Is it self-taught? Is it through, uh, you know, just sort of like natural abilities? But you know, you have a very founder, startupy kind of thing, and and maybe it's my age. Maybe that didn't exist in my world, and it does, you know, with the Zuckerbergs of the world at your age. But where, where do you think yours came from? I think it's a combination of everything you said. I mean, I, I, neither of my parents were entrepreneurial. I didn't really have anybody in my life that was entrepreneurial, but I did learn so much about leadership from my parents and throughout my life from mentors growing up, playing sports, playing sports in college. I learned so much about leadership throughout that and and really had a passion for leadership. I, I think a lot of it was something I was born with. I, like I said, I always had that little bit of entrepreneur in me. Um, I didn't study it in school. I re- I've read tons and tons of books. That, that's There's definitely a self-taught aspect of it. But I think the biggest thing is, is not necessarily me being an entrepreneur, but me being a leader. And yes, having interest in business and all of these other things, but more so being able to go out and find people who are really, really good better than me at necessary skills within business and helping them as a leader. So it's not necessarily me being a a very smart businessman. It's more so me being very good at finding people that are good, finding people that are better than me and just (laughs) not messing them up, really. Mm -hmm. Getting out of their way. How did your parents teach you leadership? What was it about their ability to teach that? Were they in careers that were in a leadership role or why, why do you point to them as teaching you leadership? I think the majority of it comes from my dad. Um, and he, he coached, he's a coach. He coached me in soccer. He coached me in basically everything I did. State champion, multiple state championships in tennis, went to the final four in soccer has, has coached pretty much his whole life. But I think just watching and observing and seeing how, I think there's so many leaders that are, are yell, 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 you know, do whatever you can to, to amp somebody up and whether it's, it's breaking them down or, or making them feel bad about their self or whatever it is. So many people do that. And I've, I've seen my father take a completely different approach in being calm and kind and loving and truly, truly caring about the people that he's leading. And it's, it's just, yielded amazing results for him and amazing results for those individuals. And I think that that's just something that I've admired my entire life, but truly taken on. And beyond that, I've also had some very bad coaches that I don't want to say bad coaches, but maybe not the best 
the best people, the best style of leadership that I've learned so much of what not to do as well. So I think a lot from my father, a lot from just all, all the people that have been leaders to me growing up. Yeah, right. Contrast, you know, having the contrast of, you know, your father who is just so good at what he does and doing it in such a loving way. And then all of a sudden you get somebody who's just not as as skilled as that and thinks that they're going to, you know, just browbeat you or yell at you or scream at you to get you to do something. It's just that contrast is like, you know, wait a minute, I, don't, I just don't want to deal with that. Um, I love that. And was your dad a professional coach? Is that what he did as a career or did he have another career as well? Um, so he he's right now an athletic director at a high school. So he coaches the the tennis team, the soccer team, um, coach club sports. He's not a, I guess, I guess he was a professional coach early on in his career coaching in college, coach women's soccer and women's basketball. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about money. Your first year was a hundred thousand in sales and your second year was, a, was 1 million in sales. What were the inflection points that were responsible for that hockey stick growth? Um, I think one was being able to focus 100% on the business. The The first year I was playing soccer. I was in my senior year of college playing soccer. I was doing it on the weekends. And when I was finally able to give 100% to the business, well, I was still in, I was still in school, but I was sitting in the back of class working on my business. But I was able to give 100% and I was also able to bring on help, which was massive. I kind of figured out early on that if I wanted to grow this thing, I couldn't do it on my own. And that the business didn't have to stop because of me. Somebody else could be working and making money and generating revenue. I didn't have to be there. So I, Mm -hmm. I think that that was a big aha moment of, Oh God, there's a lot more hours in the day and I can't work all of them. So let me let me find someone else that can help. Let me find other people that can help. Yeah, got it. Um, now we also initially talked about the mastermind. You were in uh, a mastermind that I was in too. In what ways do you think the mastermind helped you? I think just being around one people people like me in the sense of them being entrepreneurs and looking at the world. I, I think you you know this, Rob. The the entrepreneur mind is is very different. I feel like we see the world from such a different lens than a lot of other people. And like I said, I never had I never had anybody in my life that was entrepreneurial and it was just almost weird for for me. Um, I was almost a little bit of an outcast. So I think to just be surrounded by people that were Similar thinking was was very good for me to be able to bounce ideas and learn and, and all of those things. But beyond that, it was such a a scary room to be in, to be honest. Like I, I walked in and I'm sitting down at the table with someone who tells me their net worth is $55 million. And that, mm. I felt about two inches tall, but it was either sink or swim. Like, And I, I know nobody else in that room looked at it that way or looked at me as as, oh, he might not survive. But for me, it was like, oh my God. You know, I, I walked in on my high horse thinking, you know, I'm, I'm running a, a million dollar company and realized that there's, there's a lot of growth to be had, both, both personally and professionally. Yeah, what's so beautiful about that is, yes, I get it. On, on the one hand, you're looking, okay, well, I'm the small fish in the room. And the other hand is the only non-renewable resource in life is time. 
right? And we can't, us, you know, us old guys or girls can't get back what it was like to be 24 again. You know, it's great having a big pile of cash, but to, you know, that just, because many of the people in that room didn't start it at as young as you, they started much older. And, you know, there was, um, there was a beautiful level of, of excitement um, associated with, you know, sort of your age and people going like, how the heck, you know, he must be an old soul. He must, this must be a second time around in life or a third time in past life. I don't know what it is, but the guy is so young and has it uh, so together. All right. So I want to switch gears and um, take this into reality because there is a little thing going around now called COVID-19 and your business was entirely dependent on events. COVID-19 has now um, said there's, or, you know, as a result of COVID-19, there are no more events. So I guess the first question is, what was your initial reaction when you first heard of events potentially being canceled? Let's go back to like before it happened. Oh man. I mean, I, I, there was never a events potentially being canceled. It went from zero to 100 for me. I was Uh. so optimistic until there was no, no way to be optimistic. So it, it was just, I had so much belief. And then all of a sudden the CDC said no gatherings over 50 people. And the NBA said they're, they're, shutting down entirely. March Madness got canceled. It all happened so fast. And I mean, I had my, I had my two minutes of pity wow, party. Like this is the worst possible thing that could be happening to this business at the current moment. And then I, I mean, I'm such a control what you can control person. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I immediately switched my mind to this is going to be amazing and we're going to walk away from this and say that this is the best possible thing that could have happened to us. I'm I'm a huge believer that with every failure or, you know, all darkness, there is opportunity and light. So I immediately flipped to where's the light, where's the opportunity in this and let's come out of this with, you know, whether it be two businesses or a better this or that, whatever it may be, let's be able to look back and say that was a, a great time. You know. So first, I want to talk about damage control and what you did to protect you, your employees. And then I want to talk about the optimistic side of you of how you're pivoting and how you are, what strategies you have in place to, uh, to keep the business afloat, to maybe change into a different kind of business, et cetera. So let's, let's begin with damage control. So now you get the news, it's all shut down. You realize that, you know, it's not shut down for a week that is shut down for at least the entire season, maybe longer. What did you do immediately to go into damage control, if anything, to, uh, to fix it? Yeah. So this was tough for me. I think this is probably the one of the heaviest moments of my life, especially in business, definitely the heaviest moment of my business career. But I had to kind of separate myself from the, we have such a family-like environment. And I had to separate myself from that and say, what do I need to do to put the business and the, the majority of people 
in a safe place. So there were two people that we had just brought on about a week ago that I had to let go. Beyond that, my my team is awesome and they're all 100% on board. A lot of people take took pay cuts. Pretty much everybody took pay cuts down to as much as they could. And we were able to luckily leverage some government funding. We got the PPP loan and we we got on with it. We pivoted. We, we Did said, you get the EIDL? Uh, yes, we got that as well. Great. So those two things were helping you to keep keep you uh, afloat and to keep the uh, keep the employees paid, and they were willing. And this is a key issue here. Many employees could have went, "Oh, screw this! I'm going to get unemployment. I'm out of here. Like mm-hmm. this is this is going to fold." But because of who you are and their relationship with you, they said, "We're staying, and we're going to take a pay a pay cut." Did I get that right? Uh- Yep, absolutely. That's amazing. I mean, you have a lot to be proud of there. Okay, now let's move forward and let's talk about how you're pivoting for the future. How are you seeing this business functioning in the future when every single day it seems like we're getting locked down even more? Yeah, so I mean, you talk about my team being willing to take pay cuts and how amazing that is. (laughs) Go even further and realized that I came into our next meeting and said, listen, guys, tickets is shut down. It's going to be shut down for a really long time. Let's start something else. Let's figure mm. out. We've, we've got, we don't have tickets, but we have a, a genius graphic designer, designer. We have a genius finance guy. We have a good Great leader. Team. We've got vision. We've got an amazing team. We've got all the assets. What? Where else can we apply this? Because it's we're not good at tickets. We're not good at events. We're good at business. So we we had a meeting and we played stupid, stupid idea, idea time. time. Just <laughs> threw stuff at the wall. We we're like, what what could we do? What can we build? What you know? How can we create something that's going to start generating revenue and start generating it fast? We had our runway and. and said, all right, we've got this amount of time. We've got to generate X by that amount of time. And let's do it. So we ended up deciding on, and and really it was trial and error. Um, we just started trying stuff out. We just, we started trying out. Uh, one of our ideas was email marketing for high school recruits trying to play in college. And that was a bust, very quickly shut down. And what we ended up sticking on was working with personal brands and and leveraging. We have an amazing team in the Philippines, leveraging them to help learn people's stories, learn everything about, learn their message, understand that they are only one person and can only spread that message so far without help. Um, and going and saying, hey, we want to help you spread this message far and wide, learn everything about them and, and go out through social media, Instagram engagement and help them spread their message. And that's what we've stuck on. And we've been able to to build it pretty quickly. It's been, it's been crazy. And it's been so much fun. So you, let me make sure I got this right. Did you happen, do you know who Rory Vaden is? I do not, no. Okay, so I just did an interview with uh, Rory Vaden. I think he is my last interview in the feed. So go take a, a listen to that. He's got a company called uh, Brand Builders, which is doing pretty much what you just described. He was Lewis House's um, coach who got Lewis to get out of um, all of the other things that he was doing that was not 
what he loved doing and not where all of his money was coming from. So 20% of, uh, you know, he basically said to him, you know, where's, where's most of your money coming from? And he said, well, probably 80% is coming from the podcast in some way, shape or form. Where's the other 20%? Well, it's all over the place. I'm speaking, I, I write books, I'm doing courses online. And he got him to go all in and redirect everything into the thing that was producing all the money. Because what you don't realize is like, if you're going speaking as an example, you know, there's, there's a whole thing. You have to have the bandwidth of the team that books it, that prepares it. You got to get on a plane. You got to go to the hotel. You got to do the talk. You, gotta, you lose a couple of days. So he got him unscattered and focused on that. And what he does is he works with people on the high end. Uh, Lewis is a client, Shalene Johnson's a client, a bunch of other people that are super high end. But he also works with people that are very, very young um, who are just starting out in the world and helps them build the brand. So I think you're going to get a lot out of that. That's awesome. I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, really, really cool. Okay, so now is the ticket company done, folded, put on pause or what's your thoughts there? It's just put on pause. I mean, it'll come back around sooner or later. It's just a question of when. I mean, it, really nobody has any idea. It, it might be a year. It might be a couple months. They might be doing 25% capacity at venues. They might, you know, we could have a vaccine tomorrow and stuff could turn on really quickly. It's just, we've, we've gotten to the point now where we're not, we're not setting any expectations. Early on, we were saying, ah, maybe August, probably like latest September. It's going to come on latest possible date would be September. And now we're saying, well, will stuff be back around in summer of 2021? I mean, we're looking a yep. year out and we're still unsure. So really it's, hey, you know, we'll, we'll know a couple months in advance when stuff is about to turn back on. And when that happens, we'll be ready. I mean, nothing, nothing is going to change. Our, our business structure so you've got, is still there. It's, it's still right, and you have the place. infrastructure in place. You just need to you just need to hit play again. It's very strange. I was thinking about you the other day. I just flew to uh, to Cabo and I was sitting in a bar and I, I just needed to get away from the COVID the COVID stuff. I'm in LA now and it's just you know the lockdown is insane. Mm -hmm. So I went out to uh, to Cabo and we we're sitting in a bar and I was watching uh, a game, a uh, baseball game. And they had like fake people sitting in the seats. It was like little cardboard people sitting in the seats. I was like, what the fuck? Like, am I on Mars? Like, what <laughs> is happening? Like, it's insane. You know, when you see that, are you triggered by any of that? Or, or is it just, you know, like, does somebody need to talk you off a ledge? Oh, not at all. I mean, it, it's almost comical. I don't know how I feel about the, the fake people in the stands or blow up dolls or whatever they have. Mm -hmm. But it's just... It's, it's so crazy. Bizarre, right? It's insane. Well, okay. So things, things have now changed for you in your life and you know, you've pivoted and you clearly are handling this with grace and elegance as I knew you would, which is probably why you're going to have 10 companies and you know, the 10th one is going to be the hundred million dollar one. And you're going to learn each one. There's no question in my mind about that. And, and personally, uh, you are, now going all in on an RV. Why did you buy an RV and why are you traveling around with it? Oh man, I I don't even know. It all it all happens <laughs> so fast. I don't know. I woke up and there I was. I, I was I, sitting in the back. I saw Chris Harder driving around in this, you know, this it looks like Prince's, you know, looks like Prince's come back from the dead and he's doing a tour bus. 
and you're in an RV. Like, wh- where did this come from? <laughs> well, we we set the intention for this year to travel. And we had everything mapped out. We were going to spend three months in Spain and we were going to go to California and we were going to just nomad it and live in Airbnbs. And then all of this stuff happened and the air travel was questionable. Airbnbs were questionable. International travel was no shot at all. Um, And we kind of said, all right, we'll just figure it out. We're not going to let anything get in our way. You know, we can... almost a little arrogantly he said we we can do whatever we want like we'll we'll figure it out so we because went, you can yeah absolutely um, and we by the way is you and your girlfriend right yes and the dog okay got the dog you well. your girlfriend and the dog and how long have you two been what's her name and how long have you two been together her name is Michaela and we've been together we're coming up on nine years now high school oh, sweethearts that is incredible okay so now you and Michaela and you are based out of which state I guess you could say Florida. I've been in Denver for the past couple of years, but Florida is, is home. Florida is home and you've been in Denver for the Why in Denver? You just like it or was there like tax reasons or what was it about that? No, it was just wanting to get away, wanting to experience something new. Coming out of college, me and Michaela both said, let's go somewhere. Let's, you know, not that we don't absolutely love and adore everybody in Florida, um, but we wanted to kind of be on our own and experience something new. And it's, it was the best thing in the world. Like, okay. So now you guys, you, you buy the, you buy the RV and I'm assuming you buy it in Denver. You get in the, you get in the thing and you're like, we're just going to go drive. And, and so you, you drove, I, now you're in Sedona. So are you just going to continually circumnavigate the planet or what's the plan? Well, we actually, so we when we decided that we were going to buy an RV, we mm-hmm. in the span of about a month, we moved out of our we moved out of our apartment in Denver in two days, drove home to Florida, mm-hmm. yep, found an RV, renovated it, and hit the road. And we by the time we decided we were buying an RV, we had within a month hit the road. So we like I said, we moved fast, but we. We really don't have much of an agenda. Early on, it was, we need to get West. There was stuff in Los Angeles that we had to be there for end of really right now. Um, we were supposed yep. to be in Los Angeles, but we started heading West and <laughs> Los Angeles got canceled and now we have no agenda. I mean, I don't even know where we're going to be tomorrow. This is this is really amazing. By the way, this is the beautiful part of not having children, but this is... Uh, this is so interesting to me because you truly are living a nomadic, minimalist sort of life. And I wonder if you would be where you are right now in this moment, if you were still in the ticket business and there was no COVID. No, no chance. Not at all. There's no chance, right? So we have these weird silver linings that happen that completely change the trajectory of our life because of what we think is, you know, the worst thing that can happen winds up being, you know, one of the best things that can happen. So let, let's dig into that for a second. I want to I want to talk about what your life is like now. So, you know, obviously when you've got the comforts of, you know, living in your your home in Denver and enjoying, you know, in you know, just having like one place to be. 
you got a whole different set of circumstances now. You got four wheels. You're living in that. You're, you know, you've got to figure out where my, where my, where am I washing my clothes? Where am I going out to dinner? Like everything is upside down. Does it feel that way to you, or does it feel like I just, I dig it? Like this is just great. I can keep doing this. You know, it's, it, it's not crazy, and and it sounds, it sounds, it sounds crazy to say that this is not a crazy life, but. We have our home everywhere we go. And mm-hmm. think about think about being on vacation, not having to worry about a hotel, not having to worry about a rental car or any of that stuff and just always being to go being able to go home. Whether you're in California or Florida or New York, you could just always be 20 minutes away from your house and have all your stuff there and your dogs there and your bed. So it's I mean it has its challenges. I'm not going to lie about that. We're, I'm currently sitting in a hotel room in Sedona because our RV was too hot in the 110 degree weather. And we said, we're not uh. doing this. Um, so there, there definitely has been challenges, but they're minuscule in comparison to the, the upsides. I mean, I, this morning was able to get up at five in the morning and go walk across Devil's Bridge in Sedona and fly a drone around and take some pictures and come back and I'm doing a podcast. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. You know, I, I I'm a creature of habit. I like predictability. I like security. I like certainty. And uh, my wife threw something similar on me a couple of, uh, I guess, about six months ago, which is, hey, let's let's go travel around Europe for four months. And the first week or two, like, I really, it was tough for me because it was like I was like, I got to pack up again. I'm going to another place. But then after like week two, it became my norm. Like it was no longer weird or uncomfortable or different. It was like Tuesday for me. And then the reverse happens when we relocated and landed in LA because we moved from Atlanta to LA. So we literally flew from Florence, Italy to LA to start our life here. After a week, I was like, well, shouldn't we be going to Montenegro or something now? Like what the fuck are we doing sitting here? Do you know what I mean? It was, it was like the reverse happened. So I guess your brain can sort of get used to anything. Yeah. Um, okay. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about today is I want to kind of dig into some of the the things that you do personally that's adding to more fulfillment because I believe that you know you have a you have a really beautiful balance. Most entrepreneurs I work with are just type A. I will eat your eyes, you know, or I'll work until my eyeballs pop out. Um, and they they really don't get the art of fulfillment. They they dominate the science of achievement. They're really good at making money. They're really good at growing a business, but they don't have the side that we're discussing, which is the art of fulfillment. And if I boil down to the work that I do in these podcasts and and with my events, et cetera, is I'm really trying to get people to play harder. So I love the fact that you naturally at this age are moving more into that art of fulfillment and that art of play, because I think that is what makes you successful. So I want to dig in, in our remaining time here, I want to dig into how you sort of think about that. And I think maybe a good question to start that sort of area would be, you know, is there one rule that you have for yourself that you're never going to break? Oh, man. Uh, I think that it would be always putting my mental and physical health first. I mean, I'm a, mm. I'm a huge believer that if I am not at operating at 100%, I can't g- 
give 100% to my relationship. I can't give 100% to my business. I can't give 100% to my family. So I put myself first and I do all the things I have to do, whether it's meditation or reading or walks or, or all of the, the personal stuff in order to fill up my own cup so that I can fill up others and, and operate at 100% capacity elsewhere. So let's let's run that down. What is sort of like give me your you know your top 3 to 5 things that you know that when you don't do these things your mental capacity for lack of a better word is compromised. Yeah, I mean I I'm not super strict with any of the stuff I do. It's more of a a flow and a feel type thing, but the the things that have been huge for me meditation has been incredible. It's uh, I mean I think I think everybody has the monkey brain that never stops. I read something yep. in a in a book that said spend a day looking at your your inner voice as a different person and you'll realize that it's absolutely crazy. You're living with a crazy oh, person. Oh, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. So meditation I call I call, my, I call mine Nigel. He's a gay <laughs> British director. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, Nigel. I can't anymore with you. <laughs> oh, man. You've got an alter ego in your head. I got the whole thing. Once <laughs> Nigel starts talking, I, it makes me laugh. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think everybody's like that. So meditation's been awesome for me to, to quiet the mind. Journaling is something that I bounce back and for, forth with and don't really have a, a, a set practice. Mm-hmm. But I go back to it consistently because it's it's a great check in for me. I mean, I, I never sit down and and say, "How is Bryce? How how am I doing?" Like mm-hmm. people say, "Hey, how are you?" And I say, "Good. How are you?" Um, but yeah. journaling allows me just something about putting a pen on paper allows me to actually have a check in with myself and truly get an understanding of how I'm doing. And it's 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 just something about pen and paper. Reading is huge. I love reading quality time with with Michaela and with the dog walks hikes yep. stuff like that exercise is is big is it difficult for you to get uh, private time being so close together no I think I think one we we like each other which is good mm-hmm. it definitely helps but we have we have our own routines and practices and ways of getting away even though we might be in the same room. Yeah. We're still able to separate from each other. And and I've got golf. I go in golf and I'm going to basketball courts and getting a little me time. But it's Head, headphones, headphones are good for that, aren't they? Headphones are great. Headphones are a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think beyond that, we're both so aware and accepting of the fact that we need our own time. Like yeah. I can only take so much of of being with somebody. And she's the same way, and we respect that. And I mean, we we've already said to each other, hey. I just need a day. Like I love you, but I need a day to myself. Can you can you leave or can I leave? Can can we just chill? And it's you know, we don't get upset about it. We just accept it. That's what we need in order to show up fully in our relationship. That's really, really great. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Let's say COVID goes away. Oh man. Uh, it would be the mountains in Denver and it would be during the winter. Uh, snowboarding and and fluffy snow, man, it just does something to me. I love that. With every new level comes a new devil. What are you currently struggling with now? I think a big thing that I've I, I struggle with and I've always struggled with is asking for help and 
with that, finding mentors. That's been mm-hmm. a, a very, very tough thing for me. And I think that it's a lot of it is how I'm wired, trying to, you know, I don't want to say, I have a tough time listening to others. I always want to have my own opinions. And I think it's, it's hindered that area. So that's, that's something that I constantly- It's a blessing with. and a curse, right? Yep. It's, it's certainly, certainly some things it's been responsible for your growth. Other things you're like, you sh- I should have listened to them. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get it. What would your friend say is one of your superpowers? Oh God, depends which friend you ask. Yeah. Um, I would probably discipline- I think mm. I'm very structured in a good way. What kinds of things keep you up at night? Not much. I sleep I good. sleep pretty well. I, I if there's anything, it's ideas. I I'm an ideas guy and constantly have no ideas of <laughs> whether it's how we can automate our Amazon purchases to make life more efficient or or you know, the new hire that we just brought on. It's new ideas. Got it. What book have you reread? the most? Ooh, there are two that come to mind. Four Hour Work Week is one that I picked up multiple times and always get something new out of. And War of Art is a, a good one for creatives. Creatives mm. struggling with being creatives. Yeah, that... Uh, it's not procrastination. What's the word he uses in that book? He talks about it over and over again. I'm trying to think of what it is, but every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, I got that. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll hit me as soon as I, as soon as I uh, uh, end the podcast. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap up here, are there any uh, final words, suggestions, or an ask for people that are listening? Honestly, I, I want to connect with more people. And I think that with me looking for more mentors and more people to look at in my life, I want to be that person to others, whether it be just as a friend or a mentor or, or whatever. I, I truly want to be able to take the things that I've learned and you know provide that knowledge to other people, share my journey, share my experiences, and that, that's that would be my ask. Would be reach out to me if you have any questions, if there's anything that you're curious about, if you just want to connect. I'm in a, a stage right now where I'm you know, maybe it's me being a little lonely out here on the road, but want to connect more people. Okay, awesome. We can certainly do that. We'll we'll link up all of your um, your socials in the show notes. Final question, what one question would you like to ask me? Ooh, that's a good one. Have you always gone by the the work hard play hard motto? Is that something that you learned along the way? Great question. Nobody's ever asked that one. I would say that for the first 10 years of my life, it was work hard. For the second 10 years of my life, because I threw the pendulum, 10 years, uh, I'm saying post, uh, uh, post-graduate school. Okay. The second 10 years was because I swung the pendulum so hard in work, I was like, fuck it, I'm going partying. Yep. And I was you know, traveling around the world in Saint-Tropez, spraying champagne, spending money like it was never going to end and spending exactly what I made. And if I didn't have enough that year, I'd put it on a credit card and figure out how to, how to pay it back. Um, and then I finally was like, wait a minute, this has got it. Like, this is crazy. Like I have an entrepreneurial side and I have a play side. Why can't I just find a way to balance the two of them? And what would that balance look like? And it's changed through the years, but it started with something like 
you know, I've been taking, you know, four weeks a year. What if I pushed it and did eight weeks a year? What if I went all in on the business and took eight weeks? And then it was like, what if I went all in on the business and took 12 weeks? And then it was, what if I sold the business and then did the things that I really want to do, which is to take entrepreneurs with me on these trips. So I was making money by taking the entrepreneurs with me and I was connecting the business part and I was spraying champagne with them in Saint-Tropez. And that's, uh, that's, that's the evolution of how that happened. Did that answer it? Yeah, that's awesome. We don't have to choose. We can have both. We can have all the things. Yeah, you got it. And the next one, you know, COVID willing, I feel like that's my new saying now, COVID willing, uh, we'll be in uh, Marrakesh with a, a group of uh, another 20 entrepreneurs Nice. and, uh, you know, riding camels. So we're uh, <laughs> super excited about that. Well, listen, man, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time uh, to do this. I'm super proud of you. I just, I, I'm a big fan. I'm an admirer of what you're doing. Um, and I love the grace that you are handling all of this. This could have been like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go flip hamburgers at McDonald's because my baby is dead. That's not the approach that you took. You literally just turned this thing around, made lemonade out of lemons and are living, um, as the kids say, your best life. So, so thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I send all that admiration right back at you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.